0: want to know how to create interiors and images that take your brand and business to the next level and stop people scrolling in their tracks and actually like, follow, and even better, reach out to you to buy your product or service. I'm going to show you exactly how the step-by-step process, because if you can't captivate people with your imagery, you're really going to struggle to get your business off the ground. You will stay stuck and feeling like you're not making any progress. I want you to know that this is not just about taking good photos, although we'll cover that. It's about creating images at the next level using the art and science of styling, because this is how you create an emotional connection. This is how you arrange what you've got in an artful way to elevate your spaces. And this is how you create interiors that are so compelling that they move people into action to connect and convert with you and your product or service. So, the big question, of course, is how I am going to share you with you my exact step by step process to style any interior with clarity and confidence so that you can take your spaces to the next level and create an impact with your imagery. Because this is how. You stand out in a crowded marketplace. This is how you make compelling images using your existing client work, your products or your place if you have an Airbnb. And this is really how you finally start to grow your business. If you don't have this key foundational element in your business, you're really going to struggle to make progress and have the type of growth that you want. So come join me in a free live class, The Confident Stylist, and I'll share with you my three-step system to creating inspiring interiors and irresistible imagery with clarity and confidence. Register now at nataliewalton.com forward slash confident. That's nataliewalton.com forward slash confident. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best selling author, focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Imprint. I am very excited to share my conversation with today's guest, Leobel King of Worn. Some of you may know of her. I'm sure many of you do. Um, She has a beautiful brand called Worn with her partner, Lottie, and they focus on homewares, designing and producing homewares such as chairs, furniture in an ethical and sustainable way. She um, shares very openly about her journey and the different uh, seasons that she's had to embrace along that journey and what has informed her decisions. She uh, personifies grace and authenticity and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Lea as much as I did. Please enjoy. Hi, Leah Bell. I am so excited to have this conversation. It feels like it's a long time coming. I know we've been in contact with what feels like quite a while to make this happen. And finally the, um, the stars have aligned. Whatever's, whatever's happening, it's, it's all happening. So I'm really excited to, to learn more about you, your story, learn more about Store and how that all initially came about. So, I always like to start these conversations just getting a little bit more of an insight into you and where you grew up the type of home that you grew up in and those sort of i guess early teenage years where you're starting to think what is it that i want to do after school so maybe we could start there Sure.
1: thank you for having me i think it's actually even though it has been a long time coming it's come at just the right time so i'm really happy to be this chat with you finally um to answer your question i grew up on a farm on the central coast um my mother um, was a stay-at-home mom for the majority of my life was my dad farmed the farm but there was a period of my life um in the mid 90s where my mother had an interior design store and a florist and i think that that's um That's really nice for me to look back on now because I'm in the same season of my motherhood where my mother was at a similar age and we're kind of doing the same thing. Um, But I didn't, you know, Warren is an interior business. We make furniture and items for the home. Uh, But I always actually wanted to be a journalist and work in fashion PR, which is where my career originally started. I went from school straight into university and did an international communications degree and an extra little diploma of gender studies. (laughs) Um, And then I went straight into a PR um, job straight out of university.
0: Okay. And so is that, that's kind of the path that you wanted to go down with more sort of journalism in the fashion world?
1: Yes, absolutely. I always knew that was what I wanted to do.
0: So how how was it? Did it meet your expectations or was it something that you kind of got into there and it sort of it didn't actually feel like it was the right thing for you?
1: Um, I think there's two elements to answer your question. My career in fashion PR was really wonderful in, because I worked The beginning of my degree. Oh, sorry. The beginning of my career in an agency, and then I started my own agency later on. And the part that I really love the most, and still love the most, within being able to do it within my own business, is forming a dialogue for a brand and creating a brand and communicating all of those brand messages to the public. Um, Creating brand stories, that kind of thing. Um, In between working in an agency and having my own agency. I, as you know, um, worked as a fashion journalist for a fashion magazine. And I think that experience, even though it was a very positive one, really allowed me to see both sides of the fashion industry and um, definitely made me see the hold of advertisers in regards to the power of brands and how there is a bit of a wall there when it comes to. the messages that a brand is trying to create and getting it to
0: the public yeah. and that was a bit of a yeah i mean we'll get more into this but i think that's something that you do really well with warn so then then what what happens what fill in the gaps between sort of working in the magazine and in even your own agency and then starting warn
1: Um, I, the end of my career came about when I turned 30 and met Lottie, who is my wife. Um, we both had our own businesses at the time and we were really burnt out and, um, really, I was really hardcore doing the girl boss thing and I was really burnt out. Um, so we decided to, um, move overseas for what we thought was originally going to be three months, but became two years. Um, we traveled around India, Sri Lanka and landed in Indonesia for two years. And that's where Warn started. Um, the name Warn came about because I intended it for it to be a place where I could, um, collate all of the pieces that I was finding and making. Living in that part of the world, and the worn came about because everything that I was finding and having made was from things that had had a previous life, Um, and then um, it quite organically became its own thing.
0: And so, did you start out in fashion with worn? I mean, having had that background, or was it always homewares?
1: I'd never worked in interiors or homewares prior to worn, it had always been fashion focused.
0: And, but when you actually started working with those pieces and the initial, when you sort of said that you initially started, you know, collecting pieces as part of the, the worn launch, um, they were all homewares though, weren't they?
1: They, well, the official launch of worn ended up just being one chair. And it was a style which we had made uh, for our home, living in a, in a villa over there. And it was called the sling chair. And I just launched it through our through my previous PR agencies. I wiped all the content and changed the name but kept the audience and launched that one chair
0: and that was the beginning of one. And so how long ago was that now? It feels like it was a while ago. It was, it was in 2016. Okay. So sort of seven years ago. Yeah. 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 And that that chair, I mean, that became so iconic and everywhere in many ways. Um, how how did it how did it grow? Like how did it get that momentum? Um, do you mean the sling chair? Yeah.
1: Oh, I think you might be referring oh. to the
0: Klan. Yes, um, sorry, sorry. No, I think of the I think of the sling chair. I know which one that is as well. That's got like a leather seat, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah, okay. So the first one was the sling um, and then then when did the cane chair come in?
1: That was the second piece that we launched and it has definitely become uh, something that is seen often, which is why we no longer stop it. <laughs> um, but to answer your question, I don't know. You know how sometimes in life it's just the right thing at the right time and you can't really put it down to one thing that you did or one person that made something happen. I think we were in a place in our life where we were doing a lot of self-assessment, really shaping the life that we wanted, doing a lot of internal work, a lot of journaling, a lot of manifesting. And as a result of that, we were putting out there, this is how we want to be living our life. And so we were given an opportunity to live that life through things that supported this chair which was it sounds strange to look back on but I really do feel like we were just in a flow of luck at the time.
0: So what what strategies I guess did you put in play that you had learned from your days in the agency like what kind of approach did you take to getting it out there were you contacting publications and uh, contacting? No I have I was very um
1: because of my previous career I didn't I was just in a place where I really didn't want to play the strategy game Um, and so I didn't have any strategy. I wanted everything that I was doing to be purely based on an authentic communication of this is what I'm doing. It wasn't even really about we've made X amount of these chairs, we need to sell this amount of chairs. It was just I'm just sharing what I'm doing and we've sold chairs along the way.
0: Yeah. Interesting. And so how how did then the collections evolve? So you mentioned you started with the sling chair, then you had the cane chair. And how did the, the collections evolve? What was influencing you in terms of your next steps?
1: Um, the main point of influence where that was with me at the time that we were in this chapter of the business was we had signed a two-year lease on this incredibly beautiful and large villa in indonesia and it was a tropical joglo. i mean not tropical traditional joglo. so it was you know the timber timber panel timber roof um with this huge pool and there was two as well two joglos in the compound that we had leased and so we were making pieces and finding pieces for ourselves and part of that we i kind of had a very clear idea of what i wanted and some pieces i felt would translate really well and the big pieces that i wanted to offer through one particularly the pieces that were one of our very very early pieces that we still sell and one of our best sellers the cylinder tabaret which is just that very heavy chunky very classic style round timber side table yeah i think that's the um, one. and I-, I think it was very you can tell from our the pieces that like living on an island um Living in a village on an island as well, it wasn't like we were living in the hustle and bustle of Seminyak or anything like that. Um, being surrounded by the by the craftsmen and by the local villages that was the element, the um, aesthetic element that I was bringing into it, particularly in those early days.
0: And so, I'm curious, like, what were the big lessons that you learnt living there? You know, living in this other part of the world like you say you know you have been a little bit burnt out from being in sydney um i presume that's where you were at the time um what you know what were the big takeaways for you personally and then i guess like how that informed Warren and what you wanted it to be probably our
1: relationship building with the people that we were working with We put a lot of effort into making connections and building relationships within the local community and working with local villagers. And um, instead of going to big makers and asking them to manufacture pieces for us, we really liked the idea, and we still do this within Worn. It's still the way that we work, working with smaller makers to make sure that what we're making we're able to control the environment and the environmental effect and we have a social responsibility within the way that we're manufacturing what we're making and we know that the person who's making it the money that we pay for that is actually going to them it's not being filtered down through three or four other people to get that piece of furniture to you Mm. um and also because a lot of the dialogue during that time was kind of fractured english and Indonesian. It was you really had to spend a lot of time nurturing a lot of trust and um, and relationships for this to happen and that was a really, really special part of um, the beginning of lawn and our first few seasons and we still work with the same makers.
0: Yeah, that's great. So what was the Of everything? Yeah. Yeah. And so what was then the sort of the decision that informed then deciding to come back to Australia and you obviously moved up to near where we are, which is, you know, the Byron Bay region, what, what sort of precipitated that?
1: We wanted to start a family um, and we were at a place. Now, the, one of the things when I spoke about before about Warn being um, this vessel that we can use to help us to create and shape a life, one of those things that we always wanted war to be was that it would allow us to work from anywhere in the world and when we started to be proactive about starting a family we really needed to decide where we wanted to be to you know for me to have my pregnancy for me to birth what we wanted our community to look like and also long term where do we want our children to be schooled what community do we want around our children it wasn't really focused on anything to do with the business. Um, Lottie and my family and all of our career, um, connections were all based in Sydney, but we decided to move to, you know, um, we actually found our first rental in Cloons, um, but we decided to move to Byron Bay because, um, I wanted Ophelia to go to a Steiner school and I knew that the community and the families that were connected to that was something that I wanted for our life. And also, the reverence that we have up here for the environment and eating
0: well was really important to us yeah now very similar reasons for us as well i mean that was basically where we were living it was like okay we've got we literally went where are the steiner schools <laughs> in australia and and then choosing which one felt you know within the community and and then kind of working backwards that way so yeah i can really relate to that so as part of that journey, when you did move here, at one point you opened a beautiful little shop in Bangalore. So how far along was that as part of your journey? Can you sort of share like why you decided to do that? What was the experience of opening, um, a space and yeah. It's definitely
1: coming off the back of, um, what I said about being in a real golden period of our life we were offered the space we had no intention of opening a store at all um I think I was six months pregnant and we had um met a friend who is this beautiful ceramicist who lives up here and she asked us if we would like to to have a store in this tiny tiny little space I think it was like three meters wide and maybe five meters long it was so small and so we spent a lot of time putting that out and we were there for I think six weeks and then um, our beautiful friend Karina who actually had her, she's as famous as her workshop and kind of gallery, it was a bigger space in a better location but within the same precinct said, you guys really need a bigger space, have this, and gave us her space, which was so beautiful. And it really I think felt like a coming of age for us because it felt like a bigger space. We had to get more serious about the fit out. I had to become more definitive of what our aesthetic is within a bigger space that allows for an actual fit out. Um, so you have to really question what is my brand aesthetic in a retail environment, which I know that you've just done so well. Um, yeah, but that's how we came to opening the store.
0: And you know as with any business I mean any business owner will tell you you know there's there's different um you know you explore different avenues and you you know like you did the the store and um and then I'm trying to think what your next step was after that I know that you sort of had like a, a smaller little pop up
1: introduced clothing
0: that's right that was like the big next stage so what um to explain why you moved into that and and how that journey went and I know that at one point you were having your pieces, I'm not sure if it was furniture and or clothing, but in Selfridges in London, which is just incredible. So can you just explain about what happened at that part of the journey?
1: Sure. Um, we, with the expansion of our brand into a store space, we could accommodate um, more products. And so we moved from being a furniture brand into being more lifestyle focused and part of that lifestyle assortment included clothing at the time it was pieces that I was wearing um and pieces that I was wearing when we were living in Indonesia so it was very resorty but we found that they were selling really well and so I thought you know there's a there's a market here for this let's use the opportunity and let's start making you know a capsule of clothing and so we started doing that and then After a while, because our furniture takes such a long time to make because of the way that we make it, we were using clothing to kind of buffer in between those deliveries for for cash flow reasons. And then we started to get retailers reaching out to us directly, asking if they could stock the clothing. And so we started offering, I think we had five retailers, um, which I was really proud of because... You know, some of our retailers have just been my favorite retailer straight from the start, like My Chameleon, which was my favorite online retailer. That was one of our first stockists, and that was really proud. And then after a while, we became focused on wholesale of the clothing. And then a few years down the track, we got a beautiful sales agent, and she took our clothing wholesale to the next level. Um, and that was a beautiful. Time to begin in our business, working on and focusing on the real the real growth of the clothing arm. But because our team was quite small and my creative capacity was also quite limited, um, because I had a child by now, um, being able to pay the furniture as much attention as the clothing became quite difficult. And so the clothing became the full focus of the business for a little while. The furniture was just ticking along, but you know, manufacturing and designing clothing is a very really, really big deal and very time-consuming. Particularly our process, because we were making in Australia, I was sourcing very, very high-grade ethical fabrications, and you know, pattern making in Australia. So it was all very time-consuming, and that ended us in retailers like Selfridges, and we actually had a concept store inside Selfridges, so we had a whole space um
0: within the store that had our furniture and an entire interior display as well as our collection of clothing which was very very beautiful yeah that was that's an amazing you know thing to see um you know to see an Australian brand um in such an iconic space was yeah really incredible I mean it must have been such a pinch me moment so then you, I think it was earlier this year, you just made the decision to not continue on with your clothing range. And I love that you are always really transparent with you know, your, your customers and on socials about your decisions behind things. Can you explain um, to the listeners what the decision behind that was?
1: Yeah, I think that as a business owner, I actually thought about this um, when I was getting ready this morning. <clears throat> It's really important to have a really honest dialogue on the social media space. I think that um, I really admire women who have a very unapologetically authentic voice on social media. And I feel that sometimes women don't feel that they're as good as they really are because there's this constant comparison. And I think honesty and authenticity in the voice that we choose to put out through our business is very, very important. Um, And part of the reason why we stopped doing our clothing was because um, I went through a really difficult stage of having chronic fatigue. So I was in bed for two years and um, Lottie was basically parenting on her own and running the business, which at that time had grown significantly. Um, And then just as I was coming out of that, the floods happened up here and we just, just a few things happened and I really had to decide where was my focus going to be and the universe kind of indicated to me that clothing was not anything that we could do anymore and it was a really difficult decision to make Natalie because it was a good chunk of our revenue as a business so it was a really, really tough call to make But one of your questions was, what was the best decision that I made? That was the best decision that I've ever made, stopping doing clothing.
0: You know, I hear this so often that often the things that you fear the most are actually the things that you need to step towards because that is where your breakthrough will be. And I know that that has been true of me. And I, I've even, I was thinking to myself this morning, you know, there is something there that I know deep within me that it's like, it's something that I just keep skirting around and I keep avoiding. And I know that there's some kind of fear there. And I know that like, that is a thing that I need to go towards because I know that when I do, that will be the thing where I have the growth, you know, like personally and professionally. And-, and-
1: Oh, but it's got to be the right time i have to be prepared like i've got to have this like catch i've got to have this net to catch me in case I fall. so yeah <laughs> it's hard to decide to walk through
0: that yeah and so i wanted to ask you as well a little bit about um strategies perhaps not the the right word maybe, maybe approach is a better word to use but I think one thing that is always like interested me and fascinated me about WARN and and the way that you have grown your brand is that um, you basically you get pre-orders for your stock. So Mm -hmm. you will let people know that you're going to be bringing in a new container or a shipment of a particular product. And you will reach out to community and saying, okay, if you want this, now is the time. And that seems like a really, you know, it's a a smart business decision. It's like an ethical business decision because you're not then just sitting on stock that's just, um, you know, you're waiting for people to buy. And I'm just interested, do you think that has been integral to your growth as a business? No, it's actually
1: hinted
0: our (laughs) growth. Interesting, interesting. And
1: mostly because of our... Dedication to producing our furniture a certain way. So, the timber that we use for our furniture is grown within a reforestation plantation. So, we are only able to use a certain amount per year. And because of that, it limits the amount of furniture we can make. And because of the way that we make our furniture using that timber, it also takes a longer period of time than people who are producing. know elsewhere offshore and through factories and with big teams and everything so the reason why we release the shipments ahead of time is because we have a very capped number of furniture that we can sell and so it's a first in first served um, business model and that's great because it means that we can secure the capital that we need ahead of time to cover the cost of the shipment but as the case is with our last four shipments, we have sold out before the shipment arrives in Australia. But at the moment we're not able to actually produce enough to keep up with the demand. And it has it is definitely makes you think, well should should we change our business you know practices to be able to make more money, to be able to make more furniture? And that is definitely a conversation that Lottie and I have had But at the end of the day, one thing that I found really difficult to swallow when we were wholesaling clothing was the disposable nature of mass production. I'm not saying that we would ever be at the um, production levels that would make it a mass brand, but just high quantities of production, I don't feel are truly sustainable.
0: Yeah, no, completely and what about i'm curious as well as as you mentioned we sort of touched on earlier with your cane chair and how that became replicated and there were so many other people out there i think that you know you've created some very iconic pieces as part of your collections the sort of striped chairs that you've got and some of the other pieces how do you approach that in terms of i guess what's your your take on when you start to see your work replicated as you know a small brand an ethical brand and other people perhaps just kind of go out there what's been your experience of that how do you approach it and i guess what's your how does that inform the decisions you make going forward
1: in the beginning it was really heartbreaking especially when you would reach out to the brand um and kind of say hi you've copied our pieces can you please stop um and then they reply with a not very nice reply and then you go back and forth and to the point where you need to threaten legal action or you know stolen ip or anything like that and still they continue to make it that's really really hard um as a business owner but when it starts to happen a lot you just that there's nothing I can really do to stop it I just need to stay really focused on what I'm doing because I will always be ahead of what they're doing because what they're doing is always just looking for other people to copy because they can't come up with anything original, original themselves so I'm really confident in our aesthetic as a brand I think that the last year for me personally coming back on board as the full creative director and designer for the brand has made me sit Very quietly, in a very focused way, as to what is our brand DNA, what's our point of difference as a brand. And so, we're currently working on um, a larger offering for our furniture and interiors. And you look at it, and every piece is wow, that is iconically worn. And that is what worn I think has always had. You can always tell when something is worn, it always, we always have just something that you can identify as being ours um and i look forward to being able to share that more in the future um and i definitely think that it was maybe watered down a little bit in the past because of the clothing diluting our focus with our interiors um but it was really interesting because there was when we first started our aesthetic was very very island home, very kind of coastal, lots of cane and and very wishy-washy and lots of white and everything. And now being more strategic as to the way I'm communicating about a brand, people who we're talking to, and also I think being more confident as a business owner and as a creative director, and also just seeing the results in regards to what selling is our business. Our best selling pieces are the boldest, most competent, most loud pieces, which I really love because it makes me not fear of the voice that I put out there when I design a piece of furniture. I'm not thinking, oh gosh, will people get this off? Oh gosh, I don't know if this will suit people's homes. Because it's not you can never you you can never really know what's going to happen on the other side once you put it out there. So you've just got to put it out there and i'm really i feel really lucky that um we've developed a really really strong uh trade clientele now that is a really good indicator of how things are going to go before it's released to the public Um, and that was also something that we didn't have prior to 12 months ago
0: yeah just quickly if you're new to me in the podcast i have four books that i've created for you to help break down the biggest lessons I've learned over the past 15 years working in the interiors industry. The first, this is home has more than a thousand five star reviews on Amazon and has almost a perfect score and more than five years since its release continues to be a bestseller for interior and home design on Amazon. I share this because I've put thousands of hours into creating all of my books. I put my heart and soul into each one to help you on your journey to creating a home that's beautiful and authentic and makes you feel good every time you step through the front door. This is home is part of a trilogy that includes still the slow home and style, the art of creating a beautiful home. So I encourage you to check them out if you haven't already. And Home by the Sea, my fourth book, includes my own home and is all about loving where you live. I hope you find them valuable and they help you on your journey. You can buy them on Amazon or support your local bookseller. Now back to the show. So more recently you have, um, you've opened, well, or about to kind of officially open. I'm not sure properly, but definitely by the time this episode goes live, I'm sure it will be officially open Um, a big, how would you describe it? Describe your new space and and the kind of direction that you're going in now.
1: I'll just put in a little, so that people understand how it came to us. Sure. So prior to being here, we had a retail space in, uh, I guess it's called a development complex called Habitat. And we were in a strip where there was all lifestyle shops. So there was us, there was um, beautiful Mud, which does the beautiful threading ceramics. There was MCM house and we had a space there. And then we also had a separate space around the corner, which was our warehouse and our office. And um, Lottie had had all right before Christmas. And I had to return to work in the shop and running our team two weeks after she had that baby and it was a really trying time and it really it came came to March and I think it was the school holidays and I just really felt like this wasn't suiting our family anymore. And it, it wasn't like it, I was really pushing myself to feel the joy and so we decided to close the shop and at the same time we were told that the uh, rent on our warehouse was going up this huge amount and we just thought oh, this is crazy you know how how did this area become this and we were thinking about what we should do next and we actually have um silent business silent business partners they um they've been in our business for quite a few years and they have been incredible points of support for um basically business mentoring and what should we do In this situation, what's the smartest decision for us? And they really love the idea of us having a physical space. And so they had just finished building, well, actually they finished a year ago, this incredible barn structure on their property in Binnaburra, which is a location in the Binnaburra that I love. It's nestled in amongst two paddocks. So on the back of us, we have goats, and to the right, we have baby cows. And it's this incredible architecture designed, timber clad on three sides, um, stainless, corrugated on the roof and on one side. So it's really um, striking to drive past this big, heavy, black um, timber post fence out the front, this expansive gravel, that's so well-maintained um, driveway that it can accommodate all of our semi-trailers that come in with these huge containers that have so much space. Inside, it's all like marine ply clad from ceiling, which is like three stories high. You know, w- windows from floor to ceiling on one side, so you walk in these huge sliding barn doors, and you just see paddock. You know, from from the heaven to the ground, it's just incredible. Concrete floors, and we were in there from March until now, just using the space as a warehouse. And for us, it was the first time that we'd ever been able to really have everything that we needed in one space. Um, So from a business perspective, it lowered overheads and it also logistically worked a lot better for us. But emotionally for us, being able to work in that type of environment, being nestled in amongst the landscape of the farm, aligned with Lottie and my soul, more than any space I think we could ever have hoped to find um so since march we've been in there just using it as a warehouse whilst we work really really hard on the back end of the business because we are we've had a lot of evolution as i'm sure lots of small business owners do especially women as we go through the seasons of our life our businesses are often um having to react and respond to that and i think that's why there has been so many changes in War in regards to the focus of our business the location of our business um the design direction of our business because it's all been a response to what's happening in our life as a family and what needs to be our priority and ever since all was born Lottie and i have been very firm in that the business will work and operate around what our needs are as a family I think it's a really rare opportunity that you have two women who are deep in their mothering season also having to run a business within one family. And so the business is really having to work for us, and being in this new space really, really helps to accommodate the mindfulness of how we want to be working. And also when we do bring our children to work, it's a much more accommodating space. Yeah. When we will be open to the public one day a week from next week exciting
0: um yeah And you know it's interesting because you do say um you know that i think every business goes through, through different iterations and you know you're testing the waters and trying different things and seeing how it aligns with um your lifestyle and and what works in a business sense and but there's definitely a through line through all the things that you've done as a brand what would you say is that through line in terms of you know, the heart and soul of what worn is?
1: Um, probably authentic, I would like to think. Um, when you think of what is what do I want to be doing with my time when I'm away from my family and does this bring me joy or do I feel like this is actually doing detriment to, to my family and to myself? um i feel like even though sometimes i communicate like you said on our social media in a very honest way i think that i would like to be attracting women to communicate with the same with the same and men with the same authenticity that they have and practice in their lives that we have within our business
0: yeah and i did want to ask you as well about having a business partner um is this something, can you just sort of share a little bit about how that came about? Was it through friends or sort of community and did they approach you or was that something that you actively saw and how has that helped your business? Um, it
1: came about through friends. We were actually um, approached. It's a pretty long story, but I'll brief it up for you. Um, we were approached by a, an investor quite a few years ago and um, we went through that process with them and at the 11th hour it became quite clear that it wasn't going to work for us. And so um, we had committed to financial obligations during that time thinking that this was going to happen and then we were really left in a very difficult position of course we had to abandon that relationship that enabled us to uphold our financial obligations and so we were very very lucky to be introduced to um, the people who are our business partners it hasn't been a traditional relationship with them in that this is the amount they're putting into the business this is the terms this is the equity it hasn't been anything like that it's during this time there's been a lot of changes in their life and in our life. And so for us I think the biggest thing that has been of benefit to us has been financial support when we've really needed it. But mostly it's how to how to run a business in hard times and having someone in your corner who really, really likes you. But yeah. sometimes when you're in small business it can get really hard. Covid was I think a really beautiful time and then something changed after that and I think everybody's businesses I've witnessed it on social media Um, and I'm not sure if it's algorithm related or if it's people's you know the financial economy related I'm not sure but just to have them there to say regardless of what's going on we have you and we believe in you and we back you. And this is what we think. Like, just someone to, who has more experience than you for you to soundboard an idea of, or is this a good investment for the business? Should I do this? I think is integral. Yeah. Um, and it allows for growth every throughout our entire relationship. It's just allowed for so much growth and so much experience and also so much trust on, on both sides.
0: Yeah. No, it sounds to, I mean, business can be a very lonely place sometimes. And so to have that kind of sounding board, I think would be invaluable. Before we get into the final questions that I, I like to ask everyone. Well, if somebody was came to you and they said, I wanna start a homewares business and you know, I'm gonna go and design products, source products from somewhere else. What advice would you give to them? What like have been some of the biggest lessons that you've learned on your journey in relation to running a homewares business?
1: Um, people have asked me this before. <laughs> I quite often get approached by people asking for um, mentoring uh, in a business or creative capacity. And my first question is always what do you do that's different that doesn't already exist? Um, I think people don't need better but slightly different things that already exist. I think that if your voice brings something that is a benefit to everyone, then I think it's something you should think about evolving. Um, If your product brings something to the market or to people's homes or to people's lives, that doesn't exist, whether it be an ethos, a way of developing something that you, that makes people question oh maybe we should be doing that within our business because it's more sustainable, it's more ethical, it's more socially aware, it's different and better in some way. I think it's something that you should look into evolving but if people are just looking for a side hustle or something to do that allows them to work for themselves that's not a good enough reason to contribute to the noise of consumerism right now.
0: Mm, that's so well said, and, and so, I know that can be really
1: hard.
0: And so, what would you say Sorry. is the that thing for Warn? Like, what does Warn do differently that other people don't do? Um,
1: I think it's probably our production ethos. I don't know of any other furniture brands um maybe internationally i'm not sure but definitely Australian that manufacture offshore to the degree of environmental sustainability that we do and have been doing from the very beginning um i don't think i talk a lot about every aspect of our production and the the levels but like just so you know and so our um our listeners can also know so when a customer receives their order, there is a little code, like a little barcode on their item, and they can scan that and they can see the actual geolocation of the tree that was milled to make that piece of furniture that is now in their home. So it's like there's so many levels of accountability and sustainable accountability that we we've practice within we've warned that I don't see practiced
0: anywhere yeah no it's it's beautiful and it probably gives you whether you know you share it a lot or not it probably just gives you that inner knowing within yourself of what differentiates you and what helps yeah, you stand think, out
1: yeah i definitely think that like i don't really feel i have something to prove with our sustainability ethos and our commitment to that which is why i maybe don't speak about it um, and I just let their designs speak
0: for themselves. I have to ask you as well, because I think you do this exceptionally well. In terms of a brand aesthetic, what would you say to people about how to build up a really strong brand aesthetic and an elevated brand aesthetic?
1: Mm, that's a good question. Um, well, the first thing would have to do with the quality of the pieces and of the product. Um, I think that, um, the energy of an item when it is made a certain way communicates in a very understated, powerful energy of elegance as opposed to something that is mass produced or is available everywhere. And I think that when you can hone in on the energy of something that holds um, a reverence of quality, I think that there's a lot to say about needing needing less and letting fewer pieces speak for themselves because they do communicate in a certain way that isn't needing needing to be said by. Over styling, and I think that the way you approach your work is
0: very much that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's get into the the last questions. Um, I, I love these because I think these are always, you know, quite insightful. So, which five words best describe you? Me nervous. <laughs> Don't worry.
1: <laughs> oh, gosh. Where am I this year? Um, <laughs> Um uh okay, the five words that describe me. Um decisive, feminine, assertive, communicator, and mother.
0: What's the best lesson you've learned? I know that you've shared kind of what it was, but is there more to that or is there maybe another one that's really well, yeah, I've learned this lesson
1: a few times, usually the hard way. <laughs> to trust your intuition. Yep. You know how sometimes you can, usually particularly when you're about to embark on a project with someone, something inside you feels, oh, flutters a little bit and it doesn't feel quite right, but mentally you convince yourself that, oh, that's, that's just nerves, you know, it'll be fine. And then it will always end up fluttered I should have trusted my
0: intuition. Yeah. What's your proudest achievement? Um,
1: being able to live my life in the way that I want to live it and not, and being in
0: complete control of that. Yeah. What's your, what's been your best decision? Um, falling in love with body. Oh, that's nice. I have to ask you, actually, I, I meant to ask earlier, so you said when you guys met in Sydney and she was busy, what was she doing at that point? What she had, had she a creative agency.
1: So she, she had been working in the surf industry for uh, maybe like 15 years and she had left a business that she'd been working for that entire time to start her own creative agency. Um, and she was equally as, as burnt out. And she actually owned an apartment on the Northern Beaches, which she sold, which allowed us to live overseas and not work for a couple of years.
0: Amazing. And <laughs> who inspires you?
1: Um, women with an uncompromising, authentic voice. I wrote down three women, and they're not necessarily women that I look to when I'm needing inspiration. It's more the energy of that woman really inspires me to be a better version, a stronger version, a more authentic version of me. Um, and they are Amanda Chantal Bacon, who uh, owns Moon Juice, uh, Julia Rourke who has the brand Rudy Jude, um, and who's a great crafter. We did crafting yesterday, so she's my intro, um and lacey phillips who has the manifestation platform to be magnetic
0: yeah i it's, it's interesting because a little while ago you shared um on instagram i think it's is it mary portis there was an interview with her uh, yes oh, I to to Yeah, town. yeah, and, and i listened to that interview after you recommended that and i just I, I love that. Like I i really drawn to women like that too. Yeah. That she is just, she stands in who she is and just is so unapologetic about who she is. And I always loved, I, I know less about her now, but I used to always look up to Vivian Westwood in the same way. The fact that she just did things on her own terms and wasn't trying to be anyone else and just was who she is. And I, I just, I've always. Admired women similarly that are like that. So, um, yeah, I just have to thank you for the Mary Porter's because I had, I, I had,
1: had to... a really podcast. You should link that in your show notes so that everyone can listen to it because it was yeah. so great. Yeah. And she's really done a really beautiful pivot from working in the high street of like brands like Pop Shop to advocating for ethical production of clothing and making Britain's Fashion Council and things like that really accountable.
0: I think that's really admirable. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Uh what are you passionate about? I found this really difficult to answer.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um I I'm really passionate about my children at the moment. Um, I think I, I affiliate really started kindergarten this year and children starting school is it's a big Commitment. At first, I thought, great, I'm going to have so much free time each day to work or potter around my house or to garden. But now I'm like, actually, my my hours of work time broken between 10 and 2. And I now have two children. And the commitments that come with going to school, particularly Napoli, the school that we send our children to, um, you really have to be a dedicated member of the community. And
0: I'm really loving being a
1: really dedicated member of our school community I yeah, yeah. I know that's not business or interior. No, me, no, no.
0: But no. it's the truth. Well, I guess it's to get an insight into, you know, who you are on the weekends. You know, what, what are the things that, you know, if you were to have uh, or it could be like, you know, if you had like a, a spare Sunday morning to yourself, what would you do? Or a spare Saturday morning to yourself, what would you do?
1: Come um, I'm also, you know what I'm really passionate about? I'm really, really passionate about my first coffee of the morning. <laughs> <laughs> an old coffee machine that my dad had since like the, the 70s and it's a stovetop and it just percolates, and it's called an atomic and you have to be a master to make a coffee out of this machine and I love the ritual. Of, it takes 15 minutes
0: to make the coffee. <laughs> but it's so worth it. <laughs> I too love my morning coffee.
1: I eat well, everything that's going on around me and I sit down and I drink maybe a quarter before I have to get up and relocate that coffee to every room of the house,
0: helping to get everybody else in. Um, and I'm really passionate about it. <laughs> that's good, I can relate to that too. Okay, uh, what dream do you still want to fulfill?
1: I would really love to, and I know this is going to resonate with a lot of people. Um, I would really love to own our own home. I would. Lottie and I have been, um, you know, it's renting up here is really difficult, and I don't think that's a huge secret to anyone. Um, but when we think about, you know, the the extension of, you know, we're living. creating this life you know building the business to facilitate what we really want to achieve our biggest goal and our biggest dream at the moment is to own our own home yeah it will happen and also i really want to see Warren expand internationally that's my 2024 goal
0: exciting
1: i want to see some us yeah
0: (laughs) it will happen it will happen um What are you reading? What's on your bedside? I know you love books. Um, What's on your bedside table? What's like a favourite book that you've read recently?
1: Um, Well, I'm a classic Gemini, so I have several books on the go at all times. Uh, I'm reading Becoming Supernatural by Joe Dispenza. I'm reading a Brett Whiteley biography. I think it's my third of these that I've read. I love the story of his life. Um, and I'm reading Grading Sweetgrass by Robin walker which I bought from a beautiful bookstore in the Willamockley table.
0: And what are you listening to? Do you enjoy listening to podcasts? You re- um, mentioned the um, Lacey Phillips. I think she's got a podcast. That's correct, isn't it? Yes, yeah,
1: she does, and I love her podcast. I'm about to start doing one of her manifestation challenges at the moment. I find them a little bit um this they're, they're really really rewarding but they really crack you open so i think you really have to be prepared energetically to be able to dedicate the time and the mental capacity that it takes to work through them but honestly as a as a woman in business i cannot recommend that um and i really like listening to the playlists by the road which is a, a, movie, um, a really
0: beautiful playlist like to play them from. so where, where was the playlist from Noreau,
1: the closing ground.
0: That's a good tip. tip. I hadn't even thought of that. I'm sure it would be. Um, And finally, what piece of advice would you give to your younger self?
1: Um, That you are not defined by the things that you do you are defined by the
0: way you make other people feel. Mm. Wow, that's really beautiful. Thank you. Thank you, Leo Bell. Um, this has been so great to to learn more about you, your story, to learn more about Warren. Um, I'm glad that we've been able to make this happen and um, yeah, really appreciate you joining me today.
1: Thank you. I really, really appreciate, appreciate. The opportunity to speak with you. It's been a really long time since I've put myself out there. I've been kind of focusing on other things and I'm glad that this was the space that I chose to remember to speak with you.
0: Thank you. All of the links and info for this episode are at Nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton, and you've been listening to Imprint.